Welcome to the show. It's Friday, so that means I'm out, and it's also hashtag FOF, or F-O-F, Friends on Fridays. This Friday, we will broadcast John Zipper's week-to-week show. The program today is brought to you by Pacific Fertility Center. When life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side. Visit PacificFertilityCenter.com. And now here's Week to Week with John Zipperer. I'm John Zipperer, the host of the Commonwealth Club's Week to Week Politics Program. You can find out more about Week to Week and all of the Commonwealth Club's many programs, including videos and audio, at CommonwealthClub.org. Now let's join this week's program. Good evening and welcome to tonight's program. Election 2016 Political Roundtable, a week-to-week special hosted by the Commonwealth Club Silicon Valley and sponsored by the Applied Materials Foundation. First of all, I'd like to thank the Commonwealth Club for hosting this important conversation. In less than two months, Santa Clara County voters will be asked to vote on 17 state ballot measures, including gun control, marijuana legalization, and the death penalty, as well as various local measures. We will also decide the next president of the United States, California senators, many more important offices. We face a very large ballot in a very important election. At Applied Materials, our innovations make possible the technology shaping the future. And one of Applied's key values is to make a positive contribution to our local communities. Since our founding 50 years ago in Silicon Valley, Applied has been committed to making community investments where our employees live. Applied and our foundation have provided funding to hundreds of agencies to support civic engagement, high quality education, environmental stewardship, and arts and culture programs around the globe. And in alignment with the foundation's interest in addressing local community needs and issues, it seemed only fitting to partner with the Commonwealth Club on tonight's event. We hope that each of us leaves this discussion better informed and perhaps more excited and prepared to cast a vote on election day. It's now my pleasure to introduce our panelists. Lonnie Chen is the David and Diane Steffi Research Fellow at the Hoover Institution. Larry Gersten is Professor of Political Science at San Jose State University, a political analyst at NBC Bay Area, and author of Reviving Citizen Engagement and The Road to HANA. Barbara Marshman is the editorial page editor of the Mercury News. Moderating tonight's conversation is John Zipperer, Vice President of Media and Editorial at the Commonwealth Club. Ladies and gentlemen, please join me in welcoming Lonnie Chen, Larry Gersten, Barbara Marshman, and John Zipperer. Thank you, Joe. Well, welcome to Week to Week. It's the political roundtable from the Commonwealth Club. We also think of it as your group therapy session for the 2016 election. (laughs) This is Tuesday, September 13th, 2016. And we are very glad to be coming to you from here in Santa Clara in the heart of Silicon Valley. Um, I'm sure you've all been keeping up on your political news or else you wouldn't be at a political roundtable. Um, yesterday, comedian uh, Samantha B finally returned to her TBS program, and she was topical as ever, announcing, quote, let's get right to the big news. Hillary Clinton has passed away. 
She says she's not dead, but we know she's a liar. <laughs> well, thanks for joining us here today. I'm, as uh, Joe mentioned, I'm John Zipper, your host for Week to Week and the Commonwealth Club's Vice President of Media and Editorial. On today's program, we are going to talk about the presidential election. We could not. <laughs> um, I should say we could not not. I don't know. Can't avoid it. Um, there's also a raft of propositions and ballot measures, uh, as Joe said, I think 7,000 of them. Mm. So uh, we're going to go through each and every one of them. This will be the first seven-hour week-to-week program. We'll have bathroom breaks and such, don't worry. We're also going to talk about some other things in the news. Colin Kaepernick and the national anthem and, and uh, issues of racial justice that he's brought up, as well as other political news. And uh, we will end with our news quiz, which will be your chance to win some chocolate. So, um, I always like to note that at the Commonwealth Club, we're, we're a place with people with a wide range of views. We welcome everybody. Um, however, any opinions that are expressed up here tonight are those of the speakers and, of course, not of the Commonwealth Club. And finally, I want to express my thanks to the uh, Applied Materials Foundation for their generous support for tonight's program and our social hour. So, there are, um, as we, uh, we mentioned there are question cards around. Please send in as many questions as you can. I will uh, submit my own, but uh, some of the best will come from you, I know. So let's get right to it, and let's start with the presidential election. Um, we're now past Labor Day. Early voting starts soon in, in, in some places. And uh, as Larry has mentioned, uh, what is it, like 60% of Californians will vote uh, before Election Day? So. Um, Give us a sense of where we are right now. And let's start with you, Lani. Uh, where are we in this campaign? Is it kind of in a, are we all just kind of waiting for the debate? Or, yeah. I mean, give us some sense of, of what we are. Yeah, I mean, so this, uh, this, this is the fourth, I, I'm actually not a current part of the presidential campaign. I'm, I'm, uh, those of you who, who've heard my commentary know that I'm not exactly a fan of Donald Trump, even though I am a Republican. Uh, this was the fourth presidential campaign I'd been a part of. I helped Marco Rubio in the primary and served as Governor Romney's chief policy advisor in 2012. And, and the reality of presidential campaigns is this. Very little breaks through in a presidential campaign. So the, those of you who watch you know, MSNBC or Fox or CNN every day and follow the twists and turns of the campaign closely, uh, you're in the minority. Most Americans really don't tune in uh, probably until the first debate. And, and, and the debate is really critical because it's people's opportunity to see the two candidates face to face for the first time and to hear them in their own words. And I think the, what makes debates particularly powerful is that they are, um, they are very powerful, I think, potentially when they break down impressions people have of candidates, pre-existing impressions they have of candidates. So where I would say we are now is, I, I think we're at a place where um, Hillary Clinton has certain intrinsic advantages uh, from where she sits right now. And the electoral college system, I think, is of great benefit to her. Uh, on the other hand, I think Donald Trump continues to be a lot closer than people would have expected or hoped or anticipated. And I think that's a function of a few different things. One is the fact that um, it is very difficult to underestimate the amount of disaffection in the American electorate. I think there's a lot of frustration. I think the economic stagnation uh, that hasn't quite affected Silicon Valley 
has affected the rest of the country in a very real way. And, and on both parties, both sides. Yeah, I mean, yeah. and it's not a political statement. It's just, it's true. There's a lot of economic anxiety out there. You have, uh, un, un, until today, in fact, uh, wages were essentially stagnant. They've been essentially stagnant uh, for some time now. Mm-hmm. Uh, the economic opportunities that do exist, people generally feel like they're overqualified for the openings that exist. So people are underemployed or they're employed in part-time work and, and would really like to be in the full-time labor market. So for all sorts of different reasons, there's a lot of anxiety out there. So couple the anxiety with the fact that Donald Trump is a television star. I mean, that's really what he is, right? If it really comes down to it, he can say he's a businessman. Really, he's a TV personality. And I think that has made him very effective in communicating whatever message it is he's communicating. Um, and, and the last thing I'll say is I do think Hillary Clinton is a, is a historically weak candidate for, for the Democrats. I think that they could have nominated pretty much anyone else and they would be uh, doing quite well against Trump as opposed to her. I think it's not entirely her fault. I think she's very thoughtful and she's got a deep career in, in public service. I think her problem is that people don't trust her. And, and uh, the most recent episode around her health has only, I think, animated that distrust people have of her. So um, I often say if the Republicans had nominated anybody else, he or she would be winning in a walk. If the Democrats had nominated anybody else, he or she would be winning in a walk. But instead, we have two very flawed candidates in a cycle that people just want to be over. <laughs> <laughs> so both of them are, are lucky to be facing the other yeah. one. Yeah. So I think Barbara? we can all leave now. Yeah. <laughs> Go home and wake up on November 9th. <laughs> you know, I think, I think the, uh, despite the almost frightening superheated economy here, that, that dissatisfaction, that, that, that you know, gap exists mm-hmm. very much here in Silicon Valley. And although mm-hmm. I, you know, wages are closing now nationally, and I haven't looked at those numbers for the Valley yet, we still have our housing problem. But, I, you know, I, I think there is widespread dissatisfaction, and I thought, I knew what was happening with this campaign, but I don't anymore. Um, I will say a funny letter to the editor in tomorrow morning's paper that basically says, Hillary Clinton just did what women do. She got sick. She ignored her doctor's advice. She forged <laughs> on. Just do her work. Take care of the kids. Take care of the job. And that's mm. what you Yeah, Sorry. Apologies to the guys here. But you know, the everything that happens and as usual with Hillary Clinton and I'm, you know, I could I could not vote for Donald Trump, even if I were a Republican and I'm not. Uh, but I mean, Hillary Clinton is her own worst enemy right down to this. I mean, if if the campaign had said on Friday, you know, she has pneumonia and then she showed up for a while at 9-11, she'd have been a hero. But instead, she kept it all in, and uh, she tries to do with everything, and here we are. Larry, what do you think? Uh, I think there are a couple of things to think about that make this election closer than it might have been. Uh, Number one, uh, the press for the longest time didn't really know how to handle Donald Trump. Mm -hmm. They treated him, first of all, as, as a joke. You know, a caricature. Let's fill in time uh, with having this guy who thinks he's going to be president. Imagine, and 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 with that, you know, they they gave him a pass on almost everything. Whatever the outrageous comment he made, well, that's Donald Trump. That's the celebrity apprentice guy. That's you know this and that, bigger than life. He doesn't really want to be president. He's going to drop out of this race in a month or two or three, and so for probably six or eight months. 
This guy built up a head of steam that others would have been challenged on, and he wasn't. And almost everyone bears responsibility for that. Okay, that's, that's, that's the first thing I would say. This, the second thing is, you're quite right. Uh, the, just like uh, uh, Congress is likely the House to be Republican because of the massive gerrymandering that benefits uh, Republican me members of the House, 40% are automatically gonna win no matter what. They can die and they'd win. Uh, uh, I'll leave it at that. Um, <laughs> um, it, the Electoral College does uh, benefit, benefit the Democrats. That said, we're in an interesting period. If you look back at history the last 50, 60 years, every time a party has been in the presidency for two terms, be it Democrat, be it Republican, the next time around, the other party wins. And why is that? Americans don't want to do too much of the same thing for too long. That's, that's bipartisan. It doesn't matter who's been in power. You know, whether it's Clinton yielding to, to uh, Bush, whatever it might have been. The one exception was, with, was when H.W. Uh, Bush defeated Clinton. Uh, uh, defeated, uh, sorry. Um, in, in his dreams, he uh, defeated Dukakis. Yeah. Defeated, <laughs> defeated, right, de defeated Dukakis in, uh, in 1988 and served one term. Yeah. yeah. And served one term. So the power of being anti-incumbent uh, is something that Hillary Clinton or any Democrat would have to deal with this time around. And so those little uh, uh, factors, I think, which some might consider to be on the periphery, I think they weigh much larger this time around, perhaps because of the candidates being weak, mm -hmm. but they weigh much larger than we might have expected. Isn't, uh, it well, isn't it interesting, though, that Barack Obama is more popular now than he's been in years? You know, that he's... Well, people look at the alternatives. Well, I think, yeah, yeah. But that's unusual for the sitting president to be able to actually go out and campaign, because usually they're uh, keeping their heads down. I watched his speech today. I wasn't intending to watch his speech. I was about to leave, and I just was stuck. Yeah. You know, I'm mesmerized, as I yeah. often am with great speakers, and he is yeah. that. Yeah. And I, I kept waiting for the crowd to, to burst out with one more term, one more term. Yeah. You know, yeah. yeah, it was amazing. Uh, I don't know if you saw the Facebook meme someone was passing around about you know the Republicans attacking Hillary Clinton on this whole pneumonia matter, and uh, it said it was the first time Republicans have worried about women's health. Um, <laughs> sorry, sorry, Republicans. But we'll be back with more here on Friends on Fridays with John Zipperer of Commonwealth Club right after this. You're listening to the Progressive Voices channel on TuneIn. Please help us grow. Tell your friends to tune in to Progressive Voices. Find out more at ProgressiveVoices.com. Babe, I think we're ready. We're really doing this. Yeah, I'm ready for our family. So where do we start? <laughs> Starting a family is a team effort, and when life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side. As a unified team of the best fertility specialists, guided by the highest ethical standards, Pacific Fertility Center provides patients with compassionate fertility care. Visit PacificFertilityCenter.com. This is a true story about two best friends who fell in love and moved across the country to the city by the bay. After many years of dating, Jen and Jacqueline are now planning their dream wedding. It's a big moment in everyone's life when you say I do, especially when you can make choices for your authentic life and your loved ones too. Congratulations, Jen and Jacqueline. 
Live Your Authentic Life, a special message brought to you by Weatherford BMW. When asked, 90% of seniors say they want to remain in their own homes as they age. Hello, I'm Charles Symes, owner of Allegra Home Care. Our caregivers have been serving seniors and the aging community for over 20 years. Allegra Home Care is the only Bay Area home care agency that is LGTB certified. Helping LGTB seniors stay at home is our passion. Please visit us at www.alegrecare.com. Allegra Home Care, serving your community. Do you think that if it weren't for that, there'd be something else? I mean, she's gone through the whole email issue. She's gone through the foundation, Clinton Foundation issue. Um, you know, had she had had, had the, the, her campaign come out and said on Friday she's got pneumonia, you know, you would have had Rudy Giuliani out there saying, "Yep, see, she's frail." Uh, yeah. I mean, it. Well, but it's but it's all of these self-inflicted wounds, right? I mean, they're not they're not running a particularly good campaign. Yeah. I mean, I think that they're it, it, she's an underperforming candidate with an underperforming campaign. I mean, that's really the problem I think right now. You know, I think her again, it's not the fact of the emails or the fact of the Clinton Foundation or the fact of whatever health issue she might be dealing with. It's the manner in which those items have been dealt with. Uh, they've reacted yeah, to. I mean, yeah. and, and, and I think that it's that that's part of the problem. So, you know, they the Clinton campaign generally likes to return to the narrative that there's a vast right wing conspiracy. And at some point, what they have to do is take a good look in the mirror and say, well, we, what can we do as a campaign to get out in front of this? Yeah. So I actually thought they dealt with basket of deplorables quite well. This comment that she made regarding half of the Trump supporters, I thought that they dealt with that very well. I thought that she got out in front of it and, it, and, and allowed it to be less of a problem than it could have been for their mm -hmm. campaign. Contrast that with the health and the foundation and the emails, all of which have been handled pretty disastrously by that campaign, I think. Um, the, uh, can I add Go one ahead. thing? I, Larry? I, the, 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 the Clintons, and i nonpartisan here, uh, the, the Clintons suffer from a disease, and the disease is entitlement. And uh, whether it's Bill Clinton or Hillary Clinton, and I cannot tell you why, I do not want to, I don't know what's in their water, whatever it is, they sort of feel like we can do it our way. Uh, and, mm -hmm. and, you know, people will understand yeah. or they won't. And if they don't, it's too bad. And the deal with the, the emails is a classic case. I mean, you know, it really wasn't such a terrible thing. It really yeah. wasn't. But, but if, if in fact someone's going to you know, point the finger at you and say, you really shouldn't have done this way because, and if there's some argument to that effect that makes sense, you say, gosh, yeah. you know, that was a mistake. Now she walks around now saying, well, I said it was a mistake. Yeah, 14 years later, <laughs> okay? I mean, that doesn't do any good anymore. <clears throat> And that's the kind of thing that leads people to distrust her and, and, and Bill Clinton too. The sad thing is, she's probably the smartest, most qualified person to run for that office in memory. She's, a, she's brilliant, she's a policy wonk, and that bores a lot of people. I get excited by it, you know, and tell you, you what you we are do in my house wonk, at night. Yeah. Uh, but, but I mean, you know, she is really one smart cookie. But as you said, she and he spend some time shooting themselves in the foot. Let's talk about um, Trump's problems. And he's been going How through... How long do we have? <laughs> <laughs> 
seven hours. We've expanded yeah. it, remember? <laughs> right, we said um, that already. And I want to talk about the, the, the it's called the Russian connection, you know, his, his bromance with uh, Vladimir Putin, um, you know, the whole Paul Manafort connection with, you know, Ukrainian, Russian money, et cetera. Um, I mean, Lani is certainly, you know, a number of Republicans have parted ways with uh, Trump specifically because of foreign policy. They do not trust him, uh, you know, to have the proverbial finger on the button. Um, but then again, presidential elections, at least the, the general line is, it's the economy, stupid. It, it's, it's, it, they're not won or lost on, on foreign policy. What role do you think? you know, the Russia thing and, yeah. and foreign policy in general will play in the election. Well, yeah, so I, so I think you're right that in, in general, the most important factor that drives vote choice is, is the economy mm -hmm. and, and one's view of how someone will handle the economy. Um, I think in this situation, there's a couple of factors at play. One is, uh, it, is a, it isn't so much about foreign policy as it is about temperament, judgment, and uh, preparedness for the office, okay? So I think when voters say that they care about foreign policy in this election, what they're actually saying is, we care about the temperament of the person or their level of preparedness. The thing that's troubling about, I mean, there's many things that, tr that are troubling about the thing with Putin and Trump. What is most troubling is the misapprehension of the way in which Putin has stood opposed to US interests pretty much at every turn for the last seven or eight years. Um, I, I think the Obama administration vastly underestimated Putin at the outset. I think that they embarked on a foolish set of policies with respect to engagement with Russia. And then when they finally did come around to the reality of who he was, uh, you know, by then, uh, you know, it was probably too late. And so I think for now Trump to be engaging in this strange fixation on Trump, uh, on, on, on Putin, it just suggests to me that there's just a lack of preparedness there. And, and, you know, the temperament stuff is a different issue, right? The temperament stuff is how he flies off the handle about everything. Right. But the Putin thing in my mind is a question of preparedness and judgment. So if I'm Hillary Clinton, which I'm not, if I were, I'm sitting there preparing for the first debate, and because you know she's already started, she's nothing if not prepared, um, what, start with you, Barbara, what do you think she will do? Do you think she will try to get Trump to highlight, you know, those moments of his temperament? Or do you think she'll play the policy wonk and just let the, the contrast show? I mean, what, what do you think? I, I, I would, a couple of weeks ago, I would have said she would try to go at him. I mean, right now, I think with this health thing looming, the main thing she has to appear is strong and steady. Well, wait, she has pneumonia. She should go up to him and hug him and kiss him. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> no, 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 it's not contagious oh, okay. because she was accused of giving it to her grandchildren. Yeah, but <laughs> The antibiotics kicked in after The antibiotics hours. kicked in in time, apparently. I stand um, So I really don't, I am very worried about it, actually, because I'm afraid of Donald Trump. I would not have been afraid of Marco Rubio. I'm afraid of Donald Trump. Um, the finger on the button thing. I wish someone could come up with the Goldwater ad. I mean, Goldwater, in retrospect, is a perfectly moderate person, but, but the, <laughs> you know, the nuclear explosion that, that did in Barry, poor Barry Goldwater. Um, um, I'm not sure. I, Larry, you may have a better sense of you know, how. Well, well, there are a couple of things. First of all, <laughs> she has to wait to see which Donald Trump shows up. 
right? No, no, I don't mean that in a flippant no, way. Yes. I really don't. Is this going to be the Donald Trump who really takes no prisoners and who is ab ab abusive and who doesn't care a whit about insulting somebody no matter what and, and saying things that are in one line form and going on real quick? Mm -hmm. Or is it going to be the, you know, mm. or is it going to be the Donald Trump who attempts to be presidential? I've given this a lot of thought. Uh, you know, this is a big picture. This is a, this is a story. This is why. Um, if, if it's the first, she has to make sure that he self-destructs. Don't step in. Right. Let him make his own mistakes. If it's the second, she has to make sure that she's not patronizing. Because that can come out real easily. No, you don't yeah. get it. You know, let right. me tell you how it really works. She can't do that. So, so in a way, in football, you know, you wanna, if you're playing defense, you want to see what the offense is throwing at you before you decide how you're going to manage it. I kind of think that at least early on, the first few minutes, she has to be wait and see which yes. way, and she has to prepare for both. And he did show in Mexico um, when he was on the podium with the president a, a fairly presidential demeanor. Now, the minute he got on the plane, uh, um, you know, the president said he was a liar. And then the, you know, Trump went to Phoenix and doubled down on anti-Mexican. But but for those moments, he sounded presidential. Yeah, He's but that was, a, that was a different environment. Oh, it was. You know, he controlled yeah. that entire environment right. by what he said, right? When you're on that stage <clears throat> and you've got 90 seconds, okay, you don't have the luxury of controlling exactly what goes on more right. than those 90 seconds. And right. that's why those 90 seconds for him, the first couple of times, are critical. Which way is he going to go? How prepared is he? He says he hasn't paid any attention. One of the interesting things about Donald Trump is that it appears, to the outsider at least, that he doesn't spend a lot of time looking at these issues and that he responds from his gut. You know, what can I say? What will they tolerate? What will they take? What will they like? Well, if that's the case, that'll be the first Donald Trump. If it's the second Donald Trump, where he's really going to try to be like in Mexico, yeah. that'll be different for her. You too. know, yeah. d debates are a lot about expectations. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. you notice this cat and mouse game where campaigns always try to set expectations mm -hmm. and talk about how wonderful of a debater the opponent is. And I mean, in this situation, I think one has to be very careful to not underestimate Donald Trump. He is very effective on television. And he knows better than anybody else that this debate format that he's about to go into is very different from the primary debate. You know, he did, whatever, 15 primary debates. Um, you know, I've, I've, I've probably been in hundreds of debate prep meetings with candidates, and I can tell you that the, the biggest mistake people make is to assume that every debate is created equal, and it's not. The general election debate is really a very different animal because it requires you to engage at a level and proficiency of policy that you, you don't have to do in the primary. In the primary, you can get away with clever one-liners and, and you can do your shtick. At some point, you're just gonna run out of BS to spew and you're gonna have to come back to answering the question. And, and, and I think particularly, remember the, the debates also have, as I understand it, subject matter focuses as well. So, you know, in 2012, our first debate was focused on domestic and economic policy. You're gonna have a 90 minute discussion on domestic and economic policy. And then you're going to have another 90 minute discussion on foreign policy and then a 90 minute grab bag for the last debate. It's very, very difficult to prepare somebody to just go in there and shoot from the hip for 90 minutes. It's, it's yeah. hard, particularly when you're debating somebody who kind of, you know, probably has answers that sound reasonable. Except 
Trump has said over and over again, I need to be me. I need to be me. And every time uh, they try to get him to stand in front of that teleprompter, of course, it's not the same situation. You know, he's very robotic. He loses the crowd, right? And the crowd is his inspiration. The crowd, the crowd is, 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 his, is his shot. And I'm not so sure that he or his, well, I, I, I'm sure his people have figured it out, but I'm not so sure that Trump realizes that this is going to be a different environment, that he can't go ahead and just shoot the one line. That maybe. I'm going to be America great again. I don't have to worry about all these <laughs> right. things. Let, elect me and I'll show you how we're going to do it. That may be, although I think that uh, the last couple weeks he's managed to be much more uh, sort of conventional yeah, than he has. he has at any other point in this campaign, which <clears throat> suggests he's capable of doing mm -hmm. it. And by the way, I actually think he has real advisors around him now. You know, I think Kellyanne mm -hmm. Conway is very good. Uh, you know, and I think the rest of the team he's he's put in there. Um, you know, I, I don't know Steve Bannon, but I, I also don't know what role he's playing on the campaign. My sense is that he's actually got some real advisors around him now. Um, before we move on uh, to our next topic, briefly. There are third-party candidates. The two major ones are uh, Libertarian uh, uh, Gary Johnson and uh, Green Party uh, Jill Stein. Um, are they playing much of a role? There was, uh, for a while, Gary Johnson seemed to be you know, heading toward that 15% that would have allowed him to be a, a part of the uh, uh, debates. He seems to have faded a bit, unless I'm foreseeing stuff. I'm not. What do you think, Larry? Two things. Johnson may have the best shot in in Utah, uh, Mitt Romney's been so vocal, yeah. uh, and uh, and the largely Mormon community there does not appreciate Donald Trump at all. They don't really like Hillary Clinton, so you could see him, you know, get you know some large number of votes, 25, 30, 35 percent there, not enough to win, but enough to throw it. And I think that may be the, the case in a couple of other states. I don't think he makes a big difference, but in a couple of other states. You know, he may siphon off enough votes, you know, to allow one of the other two candidates to win. Um, Jill Stein is not making much of an impact at all. She's at 2%. Johnson's about 10%. Um, now, now, we're back to the debates. We'll be back with more here on Friends on Fridays with John Zipperer of Commonwealth Club right after this. Hi, I'm Chuck Spence. I'm the owner of the Maui Sunseeker LGBT Resort, and I'm also vice president of Maui Pride. It's not just the only LGBT resort in Maui, it's the only LGBT resort in all of Hawaii, which is really kind of amazing. Maui Sunseeker actually started years and years before I even got involved. I came along as one of the owners a little bit later in, in life. I came to Maui back in 1978 and absolutely loved the island. I fell in love and I thought, this is where I want to live, this is where I want to be. And so from 1978 until 2008, I finally came alive with the dream and bought the Maui Sunseeker because I realized that this would be the next step in my life and um, thought that this would be an ideal situation because I could do something that, that was my own business rather than making money for other people. It's important to have a place where, you know, you can feel comfortable about yourself, you can feel loved, and you can feel welcomed by everybody. And I think that that's the ambiance that we try to create. And, and that's the message that, that we try to deliver in all of our ads and trying to bring people to Maui, is that, you know, we're not just an experience on Maui, we're an experience of Maui. 
When you think back years ago, how closeted we used to be, and you think about how suppressed we were back then to how open and accepting we are now, and, and it's, it's a good progression for society. It's good that people are, are not just you know, tolerating, but appreciating diversity. And that's the message, is that we really need to make sure that, that people appreciate diversity. I think that whoever you are, follow your passion. Follow what you believe in. Follow whether it leads you down the path of art or whether it leads you down a path of business or you know, some other aspect of internet creativity. Um, follow that and, and just be passionate about what you do. Spotlight on Success and Achievement is brought to you by Wells Fargo. Together, we'll go far. Everything can change after that debate. Yeah. Yeah. Everything can change after that. And the first debate, of course, is so critical. So, but absent, absent some sort of dramatic change, uh, neither one appears to be breaking yeah into that 15%. Uh, you know, to, to the line. point about sort of in the, in this, in the day-to-day flow of the campaign, very, very little impacting the campaign, I do think that uh, Gary Johnson's uh, inability to know what Aleppo was <laughs> is pretty damaged. I mean, that's tough. I mean, it, 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 and you know, part of it is maybe you could say, well, it's admirable that he didn't do the typical politician and say, well, it depends on what you mean by Aleppo. <laughs> yeah. You know, or, or, or well, uh, yes, well, you know, that's a really complicated issue. We'll have to look into that. I mean, it was just like deer in the headlights, what Aleppo, what? You know, it's like he looked like a disaster. Yeah. And I, I, I think that's one of those moments where people look at somebody and they just say, I can't. I just, as much as I dislike Trump and I dislike Clinton, I can't vote for this guy. Now, now, and wasn't that, sorry to stop on you, Barbara, okay. wasn't that kind of the hope for at least a fair number of the never Trump Republicans <clears throat> that at least if they went out to vote for Gary Johnson, they would get out and then vote, you know, Republicans and conservatives would still vote for down ballot right. Republicans, even if they didn't vote for Donald yeah, Trump. Yeah, see, but I was never convinced by the thesis that uh, that those Republicans who oppose Trump would go vote for Gary Johnson. A, okay. because this, the, the proportion of, of the social conservative Republicans were not going to be able to tolerate yeah. Gary Johnson on marijuana and prostitution. <clears throat> and then the portion of national security conservatives who were more hawkish would not tolerate him on foreign policy. So who was he really left with? I mean, he was left with some economic conservatives maybe, but those economic conservatives by and large have all got, come home to Trump. That's the reality of where the race has gone in the last couple of weeks. Trump, Trump yeah. has consolidated Republican support. That right. explains why he's doing better in the polling. He's not right. winning independence. He's consolidating his base. Good point. Yeah. Barbara, any thoughts on the third party candidates? Uh, just that it's a real dilemma. You know, so many people say, well, why, why can't somebody like Johnson participate in the base? But you just have to have that threshold or everybody right. gets in. It is, it is a frustrating democratic phenomenon. Lowercase democratic phenomenon that uh, that there's no way to break in. Question from the audience: Isn't Trump, with his scary chances of success, the best proof that democracy doesn't work? <laughs> <laughs> this is our dystopian uh, audience here tonight. <laughs> well, let, let's uh, dig into some uh, statewide and some local ballot measures. Uh, for those folks who are listening to this or watching it on on online from other states. Um, you get to laugh at us because in California we vote on everything. Um, and I was joking that there were 7,000 ballots uh, or things on the, on the uh, 
ballot, but actually, as, as Joe mentioned, there are 17 at least. Um, and depending on where you live, you might have a number of additional local ones. Um, let's start off with some of the statewide ones. Uh, there's, a measure, there's a proposition, of course, the, let's call it the Gavin Newsom, uh, Gary Johnson uh, proposition to legalize marijuana. Is it going to pass this time, Barbara? What do you think? I, th I think it may. It's, it's always been teetering. I mean, I think you have Colorado out there and, and other states that are having problems, but the momentum, just, just as with medical marijuana, I think the, the momentum goes that way. And let's face it, what we are doing now isn't working. Uh, we, our editorial board, has never supported one of these before, but we've said, you know, let's go in and see if we can make this work. Um, not that that means voters are going to do it, but I, there, there is a sense that it's becoming more the norm. Yeah, um, I mean, there is a, a, um, a progressive, and I don't mean that in a political context, there's a progressive process through which initiatives eventually pass, right? Yeah. Usually it may, take a, it may take a few times. The, the, the electorate has to be in a place where they're willing to accept it. And I think in California, uh, with medical marijuana, with the Obama administration's decision to not actively pursue prosecution on a lot of marijuana uh, possession-related crimes, you know, I just think it's uh, the writing's on the wall on this one, um, which, you know, personally, I, I, I find distasteful, but it is, I mean, I think the electorate yeah. is where they are. Yeah. Larry? A number, of uh, a number of cities and counties, of course, have already passed legislation uh, regarding medical marijuana, but what I found on the ballot this time is a, a number of cities and counties have uh, have uh, measures that would tax marijuana right. oh, between yeah. 10 and 15 percent. The assumption being that it passes. Yeah. Uh, one, uh, there have been two studies out. One independent study suggests that uh, there'll be a gain of the state uh, for the state of 1.3 billion dollars in taxes at least. The other being 1.6. Uh, if people don't feel too too harmed by what they've already seen, you know, with the, with the medical marijuana that's being so, so present everywhere. Uh, yeah, it's the kind of thing where it could pass it, it could pass, it wouldn't surprise me, it wouldn't surprise me. Yep. The, Go ahead. There are folks in, in Colorado who are um, saying that, that the windfall that was expected, and the dollars are there, but the costs are also yep. a lot higher, and that it, it's just hard to collect too, it, right? That's because, true. because if, if the yes. trans, because the because the problem is that you there are still federal laws that govern the transmission of the money. <clears throat> so to collect the money and then be able to remit a tax requires the the cooperation of banking authorities, but banking authorities are hamstrung by federal law. So there's all this federal junk in the yeah. way of this really working out to be the windfall that people think. And, and I think maybe yeah. in a few years it'll be, but for now it's, I, that would not be, if I were a proponent of the measure, I would not be going to that well. Yeah. Now that's one of the better known ballot measures, I think, uh, on the statewide ballot. Larry, and I think you said this at one of our previous week to weeks, and that is when there are ballot measures, especially a lot of them, and people don't necessarily know about them, they're more likely to vote just no on it. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Uh, <coughs> mostly because they're overwhelmed. I mean, what is it, uh, the, the statewide uh, uh, voter analysis booklet, is booklet book, 245 pages of the smallest print you'll ever wanna see. Okay, you better have a magnifying glass when you read it. Uh, and so, you know, people get down these silly arguments 
uh, whether they're uh, the, the, the summary by the attorney general or the or the 30 second commercials. Yeah. If they're confused and there's a number of them this time, they will vote. No, only one third pass. Only one mm. third ever get through. Uh, so so the odds already are against. And this time, of course, you've got two canceling each other on, on, on capital <laughs> yeah. punishment. Talk, talk a bit about that. Right. 62 and 66, I think it is. Right. 62 says forget capital punishment because it's so cost so costly to keep these people on death row. A million dollars a year per mm -hmm. per person. Uh, let's just give them throw away the key and uh, make it life imprisonment without parole. The other one says, oh, no, you got it wrong. Let's speed up the process, you know. Uh, you know, you know, you go to San Quentin and get in line uh, and let's get it done. Uh, so if they both pass and that's that's happened before in California, if they both pass the one with the most amount of votes will win. Ones. But instead, it could be that both <coughs> will be defeated for that very reason. And then we're back to we're status quo. Status quo. So uh, what given that that that. I assume, again, we've got folks here who, like us, read about the stuff and talk about the stuff, but most voters aren't going to make it through that 200 and whatever page uh, <laughs> uh, dictionary. Um, so which ones do you think will pass voter muster amongst the, that group of them? Lonnie, I mean, what, what would you expect to, of the statewide ones, what do, what do you expect will get approved? Um, yeah, so now I have to remember what they all are. Uh, <laughs> I, you know, I do think I do think that the marijuana one and yeah. the legalization of marijuana ends up passing. Um, I think that the school bond will get will get pretty close, uh, if not all the way there. Now, is this the one that's basically extending uh, the was it Prop Thirty? Well, well, no. 51. 51. 51. Is this is where one. everyone in other states are laughing their heads yeah. off. <laughs> and it's crazy. Fifty one is the one that. Uh, Allows uh, construction bonds to to be to move forward with with less oversight okay. than before, and and Jerry Brown's dead set against this one, because he believes that it will be loosey goosey and, and benefit mostly uh, the builders and nobody else. So, 55 is the one that extends Prop 30. Right. Okay. That one has virtually no opposition, uh, and has already collected I think 43 million dollars. Uh, so that one, I think, people feel, look, who are you talking about? You're talking about the fat cats in California. You're talking about the 1%. 1%, by the way, who pay 70% of the state income taxes. So we'll stick it to them. They've already been stuck for the last four years. They'll be stuck for a little longer. It's okay. They won't even know. Uh, <laughs> so so I, I, I think that's got yeah. a very good fit. But there's some other juicy ones. Like what? Well, the, 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 the one with the pharmaceuticals. Uh, that that uh, uh, has the has the uh, potential of uh, lowering pharmaceutical costs, and that's Prop 61. Uh, the pharmaceutical industry has already spent 90 million dollars. They haven't started yet. Okay, they're just warming up. 90 million dollars uh, to oppose that. Uh, so there are a few a few of those, uh, and uh, of course the tobacco tax, 56. That's another one where the tobacco industry has already spent $44 million. Wow. We'll probably spend somewhere around 80 or 100 million. That one just missed winning, to your point, yep. four years ago. Just missed. I think it'll pass this time. Yeah. Barbara, what, I, what I are you just, guys most on, watching? On the way over, I happened to hear an anti-tobacco tax ad in the voice hmm. of a mom saying, this does nothing for your children. It's stealing money from Scott. I mean, it was just insane. Um, 
But, you know, that'll be a tough fight. Um, the school bond, I, I just want to mention a, a sort of a pet peeve of mine. What it does is extend the current uh, system for, for school bonds, matching funds. And, and the reason Brown is most against it is the current system, first of all, is first come, first serve for school districts. It is in no way targeted at the most needy districts, which, uh, and, and the other thing is, uh, the law is that as long as there is state bond money available, developers cannot be charged for more than, I think it's half of the uh, impacts of, of new schools. So it's, it's essentially having the state pay for, you know, lots of kids moving into the Santa Clara School District. Um, it will pass, I think, uh, just because people check on school bonds, but right. that's one of those things that's really insidious about California yeah. measures. And Barbara, the title of that one yeah. is what's going yeah. to assure its passage. Yeah. The title, no I, one needs to read. Yeah. Californians are pretty good about this. Mm -hmm. Supporting schools, whether it's bonds, parcel taxes, <coughs> almost pass, they almost always pass. And, and they know how to manage it now. The districts have got it down yep. just right. Uh, and I think it'll pass because of the title. Wait, yeah. what, what is the title of it? I don't remember, but it's got school. It's, it's got, got school, school, school construction. School construction. So, okay. so the, the prescription drug one is really interesting because that will be a test of the sort of the national, how much the national environment affects uh, what's happening in California because... <clears throat> Healthcare is one of those issues people are sick of talking about healthcare because of all the debate around the Affordable Care Act. Right. But but the one issue in healthcare that continues to spike if you look at public opinion testing is the question of prescription drug pricing. Of course, the thing about the California measure is it was it was written in such a ham-handed manner mm -hmm. and and it affects so few people at the end of the day that it really will be a test of whether in fact the issue is that people are just they just want to stick it to the pharmaceutical companies versus if they actually dig into it. My guess is that they reject 61 this time and something else comes around two years yeah. from now that might be crafted a little more carefully that might pass or, or in 2020. But for now, I just I have a tough time. I mean, this thing is really poorly, poorly drafted and will will not actually accomplish, I think, a lot of the goals that that it's proponents want. Now, a lot of AIDS uh, organizations, for example, are very much against it because they feel it will make certain kinds of medication just harder to get unavailable. Yeah. 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 We'll be back with more here on Friends on Fridays with John Zipperer of Commonwealth Club right after this. You're listening to the Progressive Voices channel on TuneIn. Please help us grow. Tell your friends to tune in to Progressive Voices. Find out more at ProgressiveVoices.com. Babe, I think we're ready. We're really doing this. Yeah, I'm ready for our family. So where do we start? <laughs> Starting a family is a team effort, and when life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side. As a unified team of the best fertility specialists, guided by the highest ethical standards, Pacific Fertility Center provides patients with compassionate fertility care. Visit PacificFertilityCenter.com. This is a true story about two best friends who fell in love and moved across the country to the city by the bay. After many years of dating, Jen and Jacqueline are now planning their dream wedding. It's a big moment in everyone's life when you say I do, especially when you can make choices for your authentic life and your loved ones too. Congratulations, Jen and Jacqueline. Live your authentic life. A special message brought to you by Weatherford BMW. 
When asked, 90% of seniors say they want to remain in their own homes as they age. Hello, I'm Charles Symes, owner of Allegra Home Care. Our caregivers have been serving seniors and the aging community for over 20 years. Allegra Home Care is the only Bay Area home care agency that is LGTB certified. Helping LGTB seniors stay at home is our passion. Please visit us at www.alegrecare.com. Allegra Home Care, serving your community. Well, let's uh, move to the local scene, and there's there's a blizzard of them, but <laughs> I, I, there, there are also a lot of them that are kind of around similar topics, and one we were talking before the program about uh, is a number of them on raising public money for transportation. Uh, in Santa Clara, I believe they'll be voting on Measure B, uh, which is, I think, to raise six or six point five billion. Yeah, a sales tax for local transportation projects. Uh, there's a Measure C for funding AC Transit. Um, let's see. Contra Costa County will be voting on Measure X, which I just think is a cool name. Um, that, again, it's it's more money for this. There's a, a, a vote for bond a bond for uh, BART, everyone's favorite uh, transportation agency. Um, so let, let's talk a bit about is why are we seeing so many measures going? A, why do they have to go to voters? Is this is this something in order to raise money for these things they have to? And, and this seems to be more than we see normally. Is it because of the state of things, or are we in a yeah. cycle? Why, someone tell well, us the, what's the, going the, on. The federal, this is because of the inability of the federal government to move on infrastructure of any kind. And mm -hmm. I think that that has trickled down. Um, you know, the, the, the idea, though, of, t of <coughs> raising the sales tax to help pay for transportation, I think, is particularly problematic because sales taxes are highly regressive. Mm -hmm. They end up hurting the people who, you know, could probably benefit from those improvements the most. And so that structure in my mind is a little problematic from a policy perspective. You know, I think it probably ends up passing, but uh, you know, raising sales taxes are, is a very dangerous thing, I think. It is, but it seems to be the way these have always yeah. been done. And, and uh, I think business gets behind it a little more yeah. because you know, it is going to the lower end. Uh, but you need these things. It, it, it's interesting, actually, Scott Harehold, our paper, mentioned in a column the other day that, you know, a lot of us feel like, you know, we, we have brought BART to Berryessa, which is mm. the sort of suburban neighborhood in San Jose. I mean, it's urbanizing now, but it's not downtown. And uh, I, I feel like, okay, we've got it this far. We've got to bring it downtown or we're really <laughs> toast. I mean, there's no place to even turn around the trains in Berryessa. Um, so, but they're selling it on potholes and on fixing the county expressways, which are a complete disaster, haven't had work in years. It's just a backlog. It's a backlog everywhere. Uh, it, you know, L.A. is doing it, but there's, there's just nothing. Combination of the federal government abdicating that role and the recession that just right. left no money available for anybody to do anything. Larry? Um, I'll build on your point. You're absolutely right. Federal government, Congress has been stuck they haven't done what they need to do regarding infrastructure, including transportation. The bills that they passed are basically status quo bills. No additional maintenance doesn't even get done. 
<clears throat> but let's go one step beyond that. The state of California's done the same thing. Yep. The yep. state of California, Brown called a special session this year. They, they went into a special yep. session. They came out with nothing. They said, we'll come back and meet later. They spent virtually months trying to work out with some. Jim Bell yep. was taking the lead on that. The hero, yeah. Uh, right, and the state of California desperately needs to raise gasoline taxes, which have been stuck at 18 cents since 1992. Even though we're using less gasoline. Yeah, we got, yeah. we're using less gasoline with more cars. Right. Duh. Yeah. You know, it, does it take Einstein to figure this out? Now, is there, is there a separate federal gasoline tax? There's or am a federal I, gasoline tax. And then there's also a state. There's a state, state gasoline okay. tax. That's correct. <clears throat> and it's been stuck. It's been, it's crazy. And, and so by default, it falls to the local governments. And it may not be the best way to right. do it, but we're back, we're, sometimes not, you, make, you, you make bad choices because they're the best you can make, yep. right? So That's $14 billion are on the ballot this time in four counties. $14 billion in transportation changes. And my guess is, uh, I think they all pass. Someone from the audience on, on Measure B, uh, the, the Santa Clara uh, transportation funding one just notes that all residents share the roads. Doesn't it make sense that we all pay our, pay our fair share? So as opposed to kind of worrying about the, you know, the lower uh, income folks. Yeah. Um, there are also a number of housing related measures out there. S, T, V, and W. Don't ask me to delineate each and every detail of them, but um, is the is housing and I, I I'm in San Francisco where you know every housing good housing policy goes to die, um, so are, are referendums and measures the way to handle housing? The, you know when it's at the crisis level it is now we we haven't produced enough we've got a booming population a booming economy it, it's it's exacerbating those those issues of you know economic feelings of inequality that we were talking about earlier. Um, you know, so there's the idea of going to voters and trying to get them to, to either freeze things the way they are, as, as one of the measures is, or to, you know, in, in incentivize certain things. Another approach was Jerry, Governor Jerry Brown's recent attempt to, uh, this is a, a gross generalization, but to fast track uh, development of multifamily housing that included certain percentages of affordable housing within it. Um, what, what do you think about uh, taking this to the ballot? Is this going to give us anything better? Larry? Santa Clara County is a good example. $850 million, I believe it is. 950. 950, excuse yeah. me, going to take a two-thirds vote for that type of bond. It's not just a typical bond. It takes mm -hmm. a two-thirds two -thir two vote. I think it's going to be very difficult to pass. Very Simply because, here's what happens. There are so many <coughs> tax issues on the ballot this time around. Voters are going to pick and choose. And right or wrong, guess who's going to be left for last? It is also, well, it's framed as, as a bond to, to end homelessness, basically. To, right. to, um, and that is what polled highest when they, when they did mm. polling on, on housing. I know that some business groups don't want to support it because there's not enough of a sort of workforce housing component, but, you know, the polling. Here's, here's the fundamental thing that happened here in Santa Clara County, at least. Uh, we used to have redevelopment agencies and redevelopment agencies and San Jose, which is half the population of this county, uh, Santa Clara made very good use of it too. Um, 
San Jose didn't make good use of redevelopment overall, but it did make good use of the 20% housing set aside. Mm -hmm. And often it was up to 25, 30, I think sometimes even 35% of the money went into affordable housing, low, moderate, you know, subsidized housing. And we had this stream and through recessions back when there was redevelopment, the only housing that continued to be built was affordable housing mm -hmm. because it was through the redevelopment agencies and you could keep the financing going, sure. well, that's gone. Mm -hmm. And what we're seeing now is almost no production of that housing in an area where the rich or those of us who've owned our homes for 20 some years, uh, you know, can afford housing and even, you know, middle, middle income people have trouble renting an apartment. Yeah. Um, yeah, is that fair, Gar uh, Larry? You've been here as long as yeah. longer than I have. <laughs> That's scary. Yeah, <laughs> I've been. I, I remember the orchards. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you left when I Actually, got here. I do. That's the sad yeah. part. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, the redevelopment agencies did a lot of good things. Of course, what they did was strip away money that would have gone for education. Mm -hmm. And so, when Jerry Brown became governor, he said. We can't afford that kind of thing anymore. And so it was controversial when he, when he and the legislature got rid of them. It's controversial to this day. But back to the point, I, I just think as people see, you know, the, the, the massive number, you know, of various tax items, parcel taxes, uh, school taxes, sales <laughs> taxes, some of them are not going to make the cut. Right. Yeah. And I think that's the first one. And I think transfer, the two big ones in Santa Clara County are the transportation tax and, and then the housing. And, and if they're going to vote one in Santa Clara County, I think they go transportation. Well, very good. We're going to move on to other topics. Um, I suggest if you want to learn more about these propositions, you certainly can go <laughs> online to the Mercury News, Ballotpedia, <coughs> find that giant book of tiny type and, and uh, <laughs> bottle of wine and work your way through it. Um, got some good questions from the audience. Before I get to that, I just wanted to talk uh, briefly, get your opinions on Colin Kaepernick and the whole not standing for the sta national anthem and, and the statement he was trying to make. Um, this is, of course, spread now to other teams. What do you think about this? Was it, was it a good thing, a bad thing? I mean, he's gotten both support and uh, uh, criticism. Barbara? I think it's turned into a good thing. When it first happened, our, a lot of us, our reaction was, you know, when did Colin Kaepernick right. develop public, you know? <laughs> and a he's public sympathy. sensibility, I mean, he right? was a, yeah. a, a, he's not a very social person, and, and nobody was aware of, but... He has since started talking about it, and I think it's interesting that the 49ers have kind of rallied behind him and other teams are starting to do things. I think, I think it's an interesting movement now. I mean, I've, I've always, you know, the, the, um, uh, the Speed City guys at San Jose State have always been my hero using that public forum not to incite violence or anything, but to put to say, you know, okay, you're honoring me here. There's something you ought to, you ought to know about. Um, he may actually get it, you know, and he may actually be, I wish you were playing better football, but. Uh, <laughs> he played well last <laughs> he, night. <laughs> he did play well last night. That was well, amazing. Well. Lonnie, what are your thoughts on it? Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> I, 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 I thought it was um, uh, disrespectful 
But, 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 but look, I, I mean, he has a, he's an American citizen, as far as I know. He has a right <laughs> to express his point of view. And, and you know, I, I, I would never say that he shouldn't be allowed to express his point of view the way he wants to. It's not how I would choose to do it. Um, I think that the issues that he's speaking to deserve uh, to be discussed. But I, I, I also just loathe the way that he approached it. Larry, what are your thoughts? Thank you for joining us for this week-to-week presentation of a recent Commonwealth Club program. I'm John Zipperer, host of Week to Week, and I invite you to find us online at commonwealthclub.org and follow us on Facebook and Twitter.